Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Those who believe in Him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, the light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil." For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. This is the word of God for the people of God. We read a passage like this and run into problems very quickly. When you begin to look at the Bible scholars who have worked on this text, or maybe even just at a footnote in your own Bible, you find that there's some dispute about whether or not what we're reading here is a quote from Jesus or a commentary on what he said earlier in the chapter. Some of our oldest manuscripts... Stop the quote after verse 15. Others continue the quote until after verse 21. It can be confusing and confounding, but it's important for us to remember what we have in terms of biblical text. First, it's important to remember that none of this was originally written in English. These are all translations, and we don't always have it equivalents for the words and sometimes we don't even know what the word means in some of the older manuscripts the other thing to realize is that the new testament written in greek doesn't use punctuation the way we're used to having things punctuated in english so that creates further complications another thing that you may not know but in the original manuscripts that we have there's no chapters and verses Those were added much, much later. In fact, it was the Geneva Bible published in the year 1560, which was the first English translation that used both chapter and verses as we're used to seeing in our own Bibles today. So is this a quote from Jesus or is it not? We cannot say definitively one way or the other. So, once we realize those kind of complications, then we begin to wonder what's the import of the saying and did he say it or not. So, there's another question that can be important for us to ask. I've put it in your outline. Does this sound like Jesus as we read across the gospel accounts? That is, does it seem consistent with other portions of what Jesus taught and how he behaved and how he interacted with people? If I look at a text like this, I think back to Ash Wednesday. Maybe you were here as we began the Lenten season. There's certain appointed scriptures from Matthew 6 that we read every year where Jesus is speaking. If you were here, you may remember what it says. He said in that passage, whenever you pray, do so in secret. Whenever you fast, do so in secret. Whenever you give alms to the poor, do so in secret. That sounds really different than what we read at the end of this passage that talks about making sure your good deeds are in the light. Or there's another example I thought of as I was reading through this this week. Just before those words in Matthew 6, Jesus is also speaking at the end of chapter 5 of Matthew. And at that point... Some are challenging Jesus, and he says, listen, God makes the sun rise on the good and the evil. God allows the rains to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. The implication is that God loves everyone. Whether or not you've responded yet to Christ, Jesus doesn't mention that as a criteria for God's love of you as a child of God. There's no condemnation in those kind of passages, and yet there sounds like a lot of condemnation in today's passage. Or I think about just one other example. I'll give you the parables of Jesus. We think those are some of the 
for sure authentic words were these stories that Jesus told to illustrate what life with God is like. And you'll remember that at one point he tells three parables in a row about things that were lost. There's a woman who's lost a coin, a shepherd who's lost a sheep, a father who's lost a son. And the end of each of those, remember what Jesus concludes, is there's more rejoicing in heaven over one thing that was lost but then gets found than for all of any of us who think we're righteous going to heaven. It's a radical kind of perspective on those who have yet to respond to the love of God. It just sounds so different than what these few verses' tone seems to be. All that is to say, we need to think carefully whenever we read our Bibles. We need to learn as much as we can about the manuscripts and what Bible scholars and professors can teach us so that we grasp the import. It is important to look for larger themes of faith and what the Bible teaches us about our relationship with God. But you may decide it's Jesus or not, but either way, it's still in our Scripture, so we still want to look deeply and carefully for what are the insights in this particular passage for us in terms of understanding our life of faith. I think there is some deep insight here into the human condition, particularly as the author's writing and what we have as verse 19 and 20. The author says, and this is the judgment. That the light has come into the world and the people loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. Does that describe your experience? I think it's pretty on target. Maybe you've had this experience. Someone's come to you and says, I want to tell you something, but I don't want you to tell anybody else. And then they say something derogatory about somebody you know. And then you find out it's not really even a first-hand experience. It's something they heard from somebody else who told them, who told them, who told them, and now they want to tell you, but keep it a secret. I think it's living in the darkness. Now, none of us would ever do that, would we? We would not get caught up in such an exercise of saying negative things about somebody else we know and being a part of spreading rumors and gossip. But some people do that. And what this passage says is that that's our human tendency. And once we get in the darkness, we hate to be exposed by the light. When I was serving another church, one day I was in a committee meeting and a person brought an idea to restructure the entire staff. The committee had not asked for this proposal. They gave the person the courtesy of looking at it. Then they all said, I don't think so. And I said, I don't think so. And we dispensed with it and went on with the meeting. And then about a month later, I had a group of people ask me for an appointment. I made the appointment, and these three or four people came to see me, and they said, we know what you're getting ready to do with the staff, and we don't like it. And I said, I don't know what you're talking about. And they said, oh, we think you do. We have the evidence. And I said, what's that? And they said, we have the document where you've put it in writing, how you're getting ready to shake the whole thing up. And it was a month later, truly, I had forgotten completely about the document. I said, I don't know what you're talking about. And so with some fanfare and vigor, they pulled it out of a briefcase and said, here it is, and dropped it on my desk and sat back to see what I would say. And I said, oh my goodness, let me tell you who wrote the document and what happened in the committee meeting. And I told them, and they were very quiet. 
Because they knew that they had all talked of one another and several others in the church and had said lots of derogatory things about me and how I was getting ready to run their church with the staff change up. And then they realized I didn't have a thing to do with it. And what if they would have just come and asked me when the first person who found one of the handouts that got left in their Sunday school room, what is this? And I could have told them. But they spent a lot of time in the experience of gossiping and telling someone who told somebody else until they had worked themselves into a lather and had really lost confidence and trust in me as their pastor, even though I didn't have anything to do with writing the document, nor had I ever endorsed it. But sometimes humans like to operate in the dark. And this author in the Gospel of John points out that we humans do not like our evil deeds exposed. And maybe you've found yourself in that place before where you've done something that later you regret and you hope nobody finds out. It's an uncomfortable place to be, but I would guess that most of us, if not all of us, have found ourselves in that situation at one time or another. I told you about an experience that I had as a boy that taught me this lesson very clearly. You might remember, I liked the television show Zorro. He was a dynamic fellow fighting for justice, and he always left his Z with his sword on the wall or somewhere to show his triumph and who had made justice happen. And one day when I was playing, I got caught up in the spirit of Zorro, and I had a knife. And my parents had a new piece of bedroom furniture that was a beautiful slate. So I just went ahead and carved a Z in it. That night, my dad came home from work and my mother showed him what she had found. And he came and asked me if I knew anything about it. And I said, I don't know anything about anything. I have no idea how that got there. And then my dad asked me and my older brother and sister to make a Z on a sheet of paper. Mine looked like an S. The one on the bedroom furniture looked like an S. I was found out. But I didn't want my deeds exposed in the light. We humans are like that. We don't like it when we fall short of who we hope to be or who we know God wants us to be. And so once we get there, we often hide in the darkness. We even sing about it in our hymns. Charles Wesley, brother of John, who's founder of Methodism, wrote thousands of hymns. We have a few of them in our hymnal. One of them's number 384, Love Divine, All Love's Excelling. He talks about this very thing in the second verse. It reads like this. Breathe, O oh breathe, thy loving spirit into every troubled breast. Let us all in thee inherit. Let us find that second rest. Then he says this phrase, Take away our bent to sinning. Take away our bent to sinning. That is it. We need help to escape the trap of sin. And this author in the Gospel of John today is not only describing our human condition, but giving us God's response to that. We heard it in verse 17 when he wrote, Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. God has sent us Jesus Christ not to condemn us, but so that we might be saved and live through Him and know the life and love 
that God intends for all of God's children. We need Christ to save us, to show us the way to reveal to us that we can trust God, even when we find ourselves hiding in the darkness. There is a way back. There is a way to reconciliation. There is a way to fullness and wholeness in life, even when we've been wounded or broken or wounded or broken another. The Gospel says we can trust God. All through the Gospel of John, he keeps saying, believe in God, believe in Christ. You can trust this revelation. You can trust this light. We didn't read it today, but right before where we began to read in the 16th verse of John 3, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Or later on in the same Gospel, these words we read so often at funerals, they're words of comfort, but they're also words of direction for us. In the 14th chapter of John, the first verse, Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Me. Do you believe? Do you trust God? Do you think that God can bring you back even when you have wandered into the darkness? Later in the same Gospel, at the end of chapter 20 and verse 30 and 31, the author summarizes what this whole endeavor of writing a Gospel has been about for him. He writes this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of His disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in His name. In John, believing is trusting that the way of Jesus is the way to experience the life God intends in this life and the next. God wants to save us or heal us or make us whole to bring us back to the life that God intends to draw us back from hiding in the darkness to draw us toward the light so that we might experience the goodness and love of God in our own lives and be those who so embody it that others come to know it and experience it as well was recently with a woman who shared her faith story of how she came into the church. When I was reading the text this week, I thought her story illustrates so beautifully the exact dynamic that John wants us to think about. She said she didn't, she didn't grow up going to the church. But one day, a friend of hers invited her to church. She didn't really want to go. She tried to make excuses, but the friend was persistent and continued to invite her. She finally devised a plan. She was several months pregnant. So what she decided she would do is she'd say, Yes, I'll come to church with you on Sunday. And then on all subsequent invitations, she would say she was ill. She would feign sickness so she wouldn't have to go to church again. Beautiful plan. She went one time. And then unfortunately, the pregnancy really did go awry. And the baby had to be delivered several weeks early. It was very premature and had to go into the NICU. All of a sudden, the woman's life was in great turmoil. And she said to her surprise, those church people were the ones who came and stood with her. In those days where she was suffering because she did not know what the outcome of this birth was going to be. And as she struggled just to hang on day to day, she said, those church people were there with me every day. And then she said, one day I was in the NICU 
standing by my child and a nurse came in and said, your pastor's here to see you. And she said her first thought was, I don't have a pastor. But she said, instead, she said, okay. And here came a person who had scrubbed up and was in the gown and in the mask. And when he spoke, she realized it was the pastor from that church that she had attended one time. And he said, I wonder if I could pray with you. She said she couldn't believe it. This person she barely knew wanted to be there with her under those circumstances and hold her hand and pray for her. She said, those people living out the gospel right before my eyes and they loved me into the church. Because through their love, I experienced the love of God in Christ. And I came to believe that God really could forgive everything I had done before. And God really was with me now and forever. She came to believe. She came to trust Christ. And not only did she enter into the life of that community... But she began to sense a call into ministry and she discerned a call into ministry. And now she serves here in the Oklahoma Conference of Methodism with us as one of our pastors. And so she has the privilege of proclaiming that love that she came to know through others and offer it to any and all that might hear it. Amen. And thanks be to God.